All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Hello, and welcome to the PhotoWork podcast, the talky and touchy-feely version of my book, PhotoWork, 40 Photographers on Process and Practice. Hello, everyone. I'm Sasha Wolf. And sadly, sadly, I'm solo today. So this intro will be shorter and um, not that interesting. It's certainly not fun because without you-know-who, I'm really just not that fun. And you-know-who is Michael Chauvin Dalton. Michael Chauvin Dalton. Where are you, Michael? I know where you are. You're in New Jersey working away. Um, so my schedule is nuts, has been nuts lately. Michael's schedule is pretty intense. We just could not get it together to find a time when we could both record. So, yep, stuck with me. Very sorry. I owe everyone an apology. But there it is. Peanut is in the room with me, as usual. So I guess I'm not totally alone, but she's decided not to say anything. So today's episode is a conversation with a longtime senior critic and right now acting director of graduate studies in photography at Yale MFA, John Pilson. And I think it's a really interesting episode. Uh, The episode focuses on sort of the, I was going to say the pros and cons of getting an MFA, but it's, it's really not positioned that way. We're just talking through what an MFA at Yale looks like, uh, what it's comprised of, and sort of John's thoughts about the experience that the students are likely to have, often have. He himself graduated from Yale MFA in photography. So not only has he been teaching there for a long time, but he went there. And I think it's really, really interesting. I'm often asked by artists who have not gotten MFA if I think they should. Of course, I don't know whether they should. There are pros and cons, just like with anything. But I really am sympathetic to, you know, just that question and, you know, not knowing whether that's the road for someone. I went through that myself, so I'm super sympathetic. Anyway, so I thought that this would be really interesting and useful. I I wanted to talk to John about his own practice as an artist as well. And we talk a little bit about that. But once we really start talking about Yale, we get stuck there, hopefully in a good way. Um, So maybe John and I will talk another time and I'll, I'll have more time to ask him about all the really interesting and great creative work he's doing. Quick shout out to a book he just edited for Sleeper Studio and A New Nothing. It's a wonderful sort of John Sarkowski-esque book of, of writing on uh, disparate images. Uh, in this case, it's portraiture. But if you're interested in that, and I recommend it, uh, go to Sleeper Studios' uh, website and check that out. Anyway, okay, you can. I'm fading because I just I I need this shot in the arm of Michael Chauvin Dalton, and I'm not getting it. Sorry, Peanut, but you're doing nothing for me here in the energy department. Anyway, okay. Without further ado, my conversation with John Pilson. Thanks, everyone.
John Pilson, welcome to the PhotoWork podcast. It's great to have you on. Thank you, Sasha. It's great to be here. So, John, um, we'll do the little rundown that we do at the top of every show where, because I just refuse to read anyone's biography, I make them do it themselves. So can you just tell us um, about your journey to where you are today? Sure. Happy to do that. Born in Manhattan, pretty decent childhood until I was uh, ripped from the Upper East Side and plunked down in Lower Westchester County. Uh, if you've ever seen the ice storm, uh, that was filmed about five, <laughs> five miles from where I grew up. And I'm grateful for the book and the film because that's it. Anybody ask me about my, yeah, anybody ask me about my my childhood? It's uh, just pretty much it. Except my family was Jewish and kind of not as you know, no key parties or anything like that. But kind of like you know, existential cul-de-sac. Uh, second growth forests and uh, modernist architecture in the middle of the in the middle of the woods. That was where I was at. That was where I was at. Um, and then from there, uh, went to uh, I went. I started at one college uh, called Hobart William Smith, which was way up beyond Ithaca, yeah. upstate New York. Cold, cold, but great. Yeah, I got into Hobart. It was one oh, of the did few you? Schools yeah, Hobart. Yeah, Hobart William Smith, if you remember. I think mm -hmm. it's uh, still like a because like an all men's school and all women's school kind of coexisting. Yeah. But uh, anyway, that lasted about a year and a quarter, uh, and it was great. It was kind of like going to college in the fifties. Uh, I was I was a, a real outcast for not pledging a frat or playing lacrosse. Uh, but I did meet some some great folks there, and I studied uh, began to study art history, and I got a lot more interested in studio art. They didn't have much of a studio art program. It dropped out moved to uh, Painter's Loft on the Bowery, who was, she was a woman who was renting out a couple cubby holes in her, in her Bowery loft. Also turned out to be the same building that Jim Jarmusch lived in, which was nice to see him kind of trailing clouds Fun. of smoke. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and this was also at the tail end of what I think most people talk about when they talk about downtown. Uh, 1988, yeah. 1988, and I spent most of 88 working at the Limelight. As a bus, wow, uh, I probably saw you there. It was an education. That was a real education. Semester abroad, <laughs> semester below. It was that, that summer was the Tompkins Square riots, which I always thought was, I think a lot of people think is significant in terms of uh, how downtown is characterized as kind of slowly, yep. slowly disappearing. Uh, then uh, applied to Sarah Lawrence, got in, thought I was going to be studying film. I was interested in studying film and got there and then the first day of classes uh, when you you know you run around and uh, shop things uh, the film department was looking a little shabby I think they had just uh, <laughs> let somebody go and I just remember somebody a really well-meaning person sitting uh, amidst a pile of equipment and just looking unhappy and kind of just something about the vibe didn't seem quite right. So I ran across campus to the photography department where there was a line around a line just around the block to study with Joel Sternfeld, who was the only person teaching photography at Sarah Lawrence at that moment. And uh, I had a, a portfolio of photographs that I'd made in a workshop, mostly of my, my girlfriend. And I when I finally got my chance to sit down in his office I showed it to him and I said now this is this is not good okay <laughs> and he immediately stopped me and said uh, you're in everybody else thinks they're a genius uh, but <laughs> <laughs> that's great and so that's how photography started in earnest and um, <laughs> that was three great years at, at Sarah Lawrence and then I was encouraged I was encouraged I was encouraged to apply to grad school uh, and I did that and um, was waitlisted and got in by this 
seat of my pants because Fazl Sheikh got a Guggenheim and decided he didn't need to go to grad school. Uh, and if I ever meet Fazl Sheikh, I'm going to have to thank him because uh, he uh, paved the way. And and where did you wind up going? That was Yale. Yale, school, Yale yeah. uh, the photo program at Yale. That was uh, in 91 I started, graduated in 93. But, uh, you know, I should say that, like, you know, that experience of going straight to grad school and that tr- kind of forked trajectory between the people that I was the closest to, you know, going straight out of undergrad is still an unusual thing. It doesn't happen that, that mm-hmm. often. It's usually frowned yeah. upon, discouraged. And when I look back, I, I know that there are things that I might have been able to really address and be more self-directed with uh, if I had waited a little bit, but I didn't. And so when I, when I got done with all that schooling, yeah, back to the city and uh, a series of jobs, just trying to keep it together. Um, there were not a lot of, uh, let's see, not a lot of role models, not a lot of paths. Well, not, not a lot of beaten paths to say like, mm-hmm. well, maybe I'll go that way or go that. I mean, nobody has studied with nobody. Almost nobody had gallery representation. You know, there was just nothing going on. Andrew Modica was the most discussed um, Yale grad, at least back then. She had had a show at Edwin Howe, and that was a big deal. And um, right. Philip Lorca de Corsia, who, you know, taught at Yale, and um, I had actually met him briefly before that. You know, he's someone that was really important to me, and it was significant, it felt significant when he came in and said, uh, yeah, you know, I just talked to Peter McGill, and he says he's already carrying Nan, and he can't take on another color photographer. So, you know, back to the salt mines. Right, um, wow. I worked for Annie Leibovitz after Yale. Uh, for a bit in her archives, uh, and then oh my. F- and then I did some catering, uh, and I definitely uh, explored that idea that like, well, if it had something to do with photography, then that's the job for me. Th- then mm-hmm. a slightly older friend of mine, a sculptor, said, you know, you're killing yourself with freelance and working for other artists. Uh, you come work at my job. It's great for artists. It's just uh, data entry, presentation graphics at this big investment bank, which sounded insane. And I spent the whole first year thinking I was going to be fired. But it was a uh, boom years, dot com economy. Uh, the money was just everywhere. And uh, they paid us to be there in case they needed us. And so I did present, I, you know, also I got like a 360 on my SAT math scores, you know, like I t- can't do simple. I still do the <laughs> Sesame Street. I do the Sesame Street style of like four apple pies. <laughs> uh, I have to see the apple pies when I add up the check and stuff like that. But uh, there I was like pouring, you know, uh, Excel spreadsheets filled with data into pie charts and scattergrams and uh and the, good, the great thing about that job was that, uh, well, the two great things about that job was that it allowed me to only have to work uh, three days a week, so two 12-hour shifts and an eight on Fridays. And the other great thing that happened was that uh, I slowly but surely started to make work there at that job, and uh, that was a kind of revelation. And, you know, you know Sternfeld told me exactly what was going to happen when I, when I was trying to understand what going to grad school was going to mean. And he said, look, you're going to go for two years, you're going to get shaken up. It's going to take you exactly two years to get over it. Uh, and, and and then you'll start to make the work you were meant to make. And uh, he and was you, right. you feel like that happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, um, the work I, I did in grad school was very much kind of caught up with influences and desires that were a combination of wanting to kind of idealize friends, family, and lovers, and also document them somewhere in between every kind of few years I feel like there is a hot topic whether you're in school circles or not but believe it or not they were still getting over color 
and uh, setting up photographs was still kind of a scandal. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, that's where I ended up. And also there was just this idea that like things you did in grad school were done in a real high pressure and kind of um, unusual circumstances. And the idea was you put it all in a box, put it under your bed and then got back to work because it really mm -hmm. mattered. That, that I felt that that was a shared value. Like let, let now we, we're going to start and checking in with your your friends and peers, you know, seeing what they they were doing after the smoke cleared was uh, everybody considered it really important that first body of work after after school and my first was uh, I got an 8x10 camera and I just kind of uh, in a self-flagellating kind of like uh, pilgrims pilgrimage type thing where I didn't really make many pictures but I strapped the 8x10 to my back and walked the length mm -hmm. of Manhattan up and down with mm -hmm. barely ever <laughs> taking the camera out just kind of <laughs> penitent <laughs> penitent sweating <laughs> and uh, and looking and um, in the course of that summer I, I uh, was in lower Manhattan and I saw uh, out of out of just out of the crowd all of a sudden there was a still point of uh, this man and woman dressed in full wedding attire and without any photographers or any friends or family just kind of standing there like they were waiting for a bus and it turned out that this was where this was city hall this was borough hall where folks go to get their marriage licenses and where they go to get civil ceremonies and uh somewhere in the back of my head i heard my mother her usual refrain like well you could do bar mitzvahs you could do weddings and and uh <laughs> the idea of kind of being a, an unpaid wedding photographer or being able to say like I'm doing weddings for about four years, so that was a and that was a, an important project for me. And then I had an epiphany on that uh, when I was making those photographs. There was a, mo a moment where, uh, you know, there was a man and a woman. They had just gotten married. Uh, they were Muslim, and uh, I was fiddling with my, you know, just trying to get it together. The, you know, the film holders, and it takes time, and and uh, people get bored. But bored can be your friend, but. Uh, this guy decided to entertain his his bride by singing this jazz standard, which just happened to be my favorite song ever, ever. And after it was over, I thought, you know, that is just not going to be part of the thing I made. Uh, and that, that got me interested in kind of video as an extension of portraiture. Um, so I started making video kind of portraits of people at work and then started photographing at work. So... Somehow you wind up where you are now, which is you're a senior critic in the uh, MFA photography program at Yale, and right now you're the acting director of graduate studies in photography because uh, Gregory Crutzen is on sabbatical. Gregory um, Crutzen's on sabbatical, yes. So <laughs> it's the name of a novel. <laughs> um, let's let's talk about what it is you do at Yale and the MFA program and what the NFA, MFA program at Yale is all about, because obviously this question of whether or not one should go to graduate school is a huge, huge thing that hangs over a lot of young artists' heads if they haven't done that and right. this sort of feeling tortured by it. So maybe we can get into some of the yeah. pros and cons. Yeah. I mean, um, this is my 20th year. <laughs> Really? Oh yeah. my gosh! My wow. first, my the first class I was asked to teach was a video class. So I went to sleep really nervous about facing a classroom of grad students. I really hadn't taught. I maybe I'd taught a class at Bard undergrad at that point. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I have a lot to say about it. I've experienced a lot. I've, I've seen a lot of things. I think you're right. What you know, it's a. I have a lot of reverence for the significance of uh, that commitment, that investment. I learn each year something about where the program might sit in people's imaginations, at least from the applications. You learn a lot about what that context may or may not mean at any given time from the pool of applicants. Right. Right. right? What they say. Interesting. I've never thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an incredible snapshot of what's going on too in the world. I mean, beyond, you know, having to make the being involved in making the choices, um, you get this incredible snapshot of uh, affinities and difference. And there's currents that kind of run through uh, a certain year's applicants. Uh, You can see what they're looking at and what they care about. And at the interviews, I always ask students, uh, applicants, uh, why a photo program? I mean, when it comes to grad school, I I think that that is a critical issue in making your decision. Uh, Most grad programs, or a lot of them, are studio schools, studio programs, where there's no name above the door, right? Photo, photography, uh, graphic design, painting, sculpture. And I get different answers when I ask that question. Mm-hmm. But most of, them, most of them have to do with uh, something very personal to that person. And on my own end, I, you know, I do find that people kind of, a lot of origin stories have to do with falling in love with one medium. And things spiral out from there. I think the sandbox is great for a certain period of time, but then infinite possibility is, is not really, I don't really hear a lot of people talking about wanting to do everything. Mm-hmm. They, they usually describe their commitment to a medium about, you know, being a kind of problem, uh, a compelling set of limitations that, you know, it's like a straitjacket. Like mm-hmm. I just, it's uh, frustrating, sure. But man, when you get out of it, you're, it's really an achievement. When you say that, you can tell a lot about where sort of the zeitgeist of photography is based on applications. Is Yale, I don't want to use the word receptive, but does the program move along with that? Or is the program the program? Sure. No, I mean, I, I am, I think everyone's mindful of how the, you know, I mean, I guess there's some like cliches out there about bubbles and ivory towers, but I, I don't really know what those things refer to because uh, the world is present, right? I mean, mm-hmm. people bring their bring their lives and their story, their biographies, their their concerns. Uh, the headlines are in there, and you know, when you're talking about Yale, often the headlines are involve Yale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, whether it's Kavanaugh or whatever. Uh, I, I'm just saying that I am. I find that uh, yeah, there's an agility, I think, uh, and an openness to uh, stakes and whatever anybody's stated you know, ambition is. So how is the Yale of today? And what is the Yale graduate studies program in photography today? And how is that yeah. different than when you were there? Describe it to people. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I've been other places, right? So I do mm-hmm. have some perspective. But the thing I'm always up against when it comes to describing the place is that it from my vantage point, it's just so entirely bound up with infinitely specific experiences, you know, right. individuals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every year when, when an in- incoming class comes, uh, you know, and, and when I'm in a position to welcome them, like I was this semester, I always tell them like, look, you're in an entirely new place. It's not what it was last year. It's not what it was five years ago. The entire character of 
engagement and what I encounter in those critiques any given year is entirely dependent on who's there and what they bring. Um, and that goes for the critics too. So I don't know. I mean, I, I just feel that it's, uh, the, uh, it takes the artist seriously. Uh, it works with ambitions. One word that I, 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 that I think is useful is, uh, I think there's a lot of confiding. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like I always, I always read, uh, I always try to look at uh, T.S. Eliot when the fall semester hits because his, his essays on uh, being, he took being a critic really seriously and he really tried to find the, the most productive then between poet and critic of poetry. And, and sometimes he would go so far as to say like, well, yeah, like criticism is poetry by other means. I won't go that far, but he does talk about reaching for language you know, really, as opposed to just applying uh, standards or bromides or, you know, I just feel like our job is just to do our best to reach for original language and original thought to address what somebody's done. I mean, some of the broad stroke descriptions of the place, official or unofficial, has always been that the goal is, is to talk to the work, to be able to kind of pop the hood like a mechanic and say, like, how does a photograph generate meaning? How does it work? How does it fail? How does it? How does the thing you make jibe with your stated ambition? What's been left out? What's being hinted at? But when it comes to some of the most valuable criticism, I I, I always find that it's almost like, and the reason that I almost want to say that uh, it's not that it's a privileged conversation, but if you like recorded crits, I don't think that half of the significance would come across to an outside observer because it what's what's impossible to understand is the the investments all the way around and the you know the difference between somebody's response on seeing their work uh, somebody's work at the first crit versus the second crit like or the critic that's been at this person's interview uh and it's year two and we have history and mm -hmm. you know we've you know we've all kind of shot for the moon and stumbled and we've been through a lot and we're getting to know each other really well. You're in well. a relationship. Yeah. And so that brings me back to the word confide, because I think when we're at our best, it, it, to confide in someone is to really, literally to say like, all right, it's not a review. It's not a PhD thesis. Um, it's not, I'm not a curator. There's a whole lot of things that we're, we're not, but uh, we have experience and we reach for language that we wouldn't just go around and do for fun. Like, I, I just think how sometimes how strange it is because the language you reach for is not something you would, uh, you know, you just go around doing casually, like really attempting to tell somebody what you see and what you think or to question a weakness. I mean, this is not something we do even with our close friends. So it feels like a confiding, saying, I wouldn't say this to just anybody, but I'm going to say it to you. I'm going to entrust you with a, something speculative about what I see going on now. Uh, do with it what you will. <laughs> but uh, I'm taking a risk here. And uh, we're all vulnerable when it comes to you know, getting involved with such personal things. I mean, in a lot of ways, I, I like to think that grad school or no grad school, everyone is self-taught. And the grad two years of grad school is just an extension of any, you know, any individual's uh, plan for themselves. I mean, artists kind of monetize things really strangely. The check you write at B&H is the easiest check you'll ever write. Uh, if a civilian burned a pile of money, that would be one thing. But somehow an artist burning a pile of money kind of makes sense. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm really mindful of, of how personal, like you said, like, what does it mean to go? 
why apply? Like, uh, what happens if you don't go? I don't know. All I know is that, uh, uh, that these are really, really personal decisions. And what is the, I mean, are there, I'm just nuts and bolts here for people, yeah. but like, sure. are there classes? What are the classes? Yeah. Who are the professors? Like, what is the, what makes up the bulk of time spent under that umbrella? Not in your right. space where you're living or in your, in the dark room or in your right. studio, but what makes up the bulk of that time? I think the the bulk of the time is 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 leaving time an ample amount of time for the pursuit of of individual work, right? Not you know. So there are classes, and there is a kind of required classes. And and uh, what are they? Uh, they change, you know. Uh, but let's see. Typically, every Tuesday night is critiques. Uh, students in the program show show three times a semester. Twice during these regular Tuesday night critiques, where four students show work in these like fifty-five minute increments. And then once in a marathon session where everybody, one after the other, shows their final, you know, end of the semester work, which could be entirely new, could be an edit of things that have come together in different ways, uh, you know, could be any number of things. But it does have a, a certain sense of uh, an attempt to revise and kind of get it together. At Tuesday Night Crits, there's about five critics. After we get through one rotation of everybody showing, uh, then certain critics are swapped out for others. Nobody planned it this way, but I always think it's significant that at any time when a student shows work up at Yale, there's always somebody there, one critic who is new, who hasn't seen it before. Mm -hmm. uh, so the fresh take is always being mixed with uh, those those of us that have, have history with a student and uh, those that, that it's a second time, second crit, and then somebody who's new. Uh, and at the finals, there's a special guest critic who comes in for that. So, yeah, I, I like that aspect of the panel critique, which is uh, also supplemented by uh, individual studio visits. In the first year, there's a, a technical intensive with Ben Donaldson, who is kind of the inheritor in many ways, spiritual inheritor of Richard Benson's kind of great ability to kind of mix poetic insight with hardcore technical mm -hmm. um, rigor. Not an easy thing to do at all, and Ben is wonderful at it. It is absolutely a goal that everybody's fluency kind of increases, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's also kind of, you know, everybody kind of, it's a, it's a real workshop kind of setting where, you know, people offer their own. Yeah, these days there's, it used to be like five things that go wrong in the dark room, and now there's 200 ways to do the same thing with Photoshop. Mm -hmm. There's a Wednesday class called Critical Perspectives, which is mostly the VA series. For the last couple of years, each student has been entrusted and empowered and funded to choose a visiting artist on their own. So it just kind of worked out that way. Wow, I, I think it's terrific. That's cool. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it really is like everybody has a chance to contribute to the curriculum. And so, you know, there's a, there's a flat honorarium across the board for guests and uh, students reach out and once they get somebody that's their that's going to be their VA and they introduce them the VA gives a talk and then does uh, four studio visits so and let's um, I teach a class called between frames which uses video assignments and uh, lectures to kind of both kind of introduce moving image ideas to photographers. Some of them are already making videos, but I really use it as a kind of, as a teaching tool to kind of conceptualize what I think of just are some perennial, you know, forces and collisions that uh, come up 
so often in I don't know what you want to call it lens based or I don't know you're just talking about like thing, you know, narrative concerns pro- yeah or, production yeah. value performance <laughs> uh, you know pre-production uh, having a script improvising mm-hmm. uh, I just find that video just it just kind of cracks open yeah point of that, view I mean, yeah absolutely yeah. yeah and so many times like our references you know the references in photography aren't only photographers right. but uh the, yeah the way that we kind of relate to these kind of gambits and just you know exquisite tensions uh, it, it's always uh i just I, I the thing i love about video is that the way it finds a, a place for awkwardness mm-hmm. and grace <laughs> the ability to kind of let things fall apart and then they kind of come together and uh it can be a very liberating kind of switch for and you know a certain amount of time in another medium can also be valuable to remind you what it is exactly that drew you to the first thing in the first place mm-hmm. let's see also uh in the course of the two years students are required they don't have a choice they are required to explore the huge blue course catalog for that that comprises the entire university so students have to take two classes over the course of their two years somewhere other than the school of art uh-huh, cool. and i you know you know if there's anything kind of t- that i still am astonished by about having an art school in that context is the classes that students get in and they can apply to anything they don't always get in but you know they've taken I mean, some students have taken business administration classes psychology classes uh, art history uh anthropology yes people can be interested in more than one thing (laughs) well yeah i mean it's kind it's kind of wild because i think pedagogy and curriculums are always discussed uh, and always being revised but Mm -hmm. you know there's just so much there this kind of choose your own adventure and you know the thing is is that i don't want to make any generalizations but let's just say that most of our students didn't go to Yale and probably didn't apply. <laughs> right. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of got this Willy Wonka thing. Yeah, like no, you totally. really do get this access to very rarefied stuff. I remember I was once, like an example of this is uh, I was teaching an undergrad class and we were going around, I was asking the undergrads, like, you know, what classes they were taking. And uh, and this woman said, oh, yeah, and I'm taking a journalism class. And I said, oh, interesting. Uh, who, who's teaching that? And he said, um, Bob Woodward. <laughs> I said, wow, oh, that's, that's great. That's, yeah. that's really nice. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So, and you look, the, the, the pace is crazy. I mean, the, the one thing that is, uh, you know, the one thing that happens to the typical first year student is that it, there is something kind of odd, but anticipatable. I, guess, I mean, I always anticipate it, which is that, you know, there's four programs that comprise the Yale School of Art, graphic design, painting, sculpture, and photography. It's four separate admissions, four separate admissions processes. You know, they, uh, at, you know, at times I, I you know, can feel like I have about as much in common with my friends who teach at UCLA than I do with my friends who teach in graphic design in terms of how often do I see them and how often do mm-hmm. I, you know, we talk shop, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it, let's just say it's, it's separate by design, but at the same time, they're all together. And there's a lot of things that happen uh, across departments, socially and, and uh, you know, visiting crits and visiting studios. But those divisions are an interesting experience. And the first way they manifest is in this kind of compare and contrast, right? So our students, every year, there's somebody that says like, well, like painting, they, they do like a lot of studio visits, but they only really show in like a 
they call it a pit crit, like once a semester. Uh, and sometimes that can be offered up as like, why do we have to show so much, so much, right. you know? And uh, I mean, well, one answer to that is that the painting's a much bigger program. And the other more nuanced answer to that is that the minds that came together to conceptualize the AL photo program were based on, uh, I mean, like this, believe it or not, this is the first year ever that each grad student in photography has their own studio because the program was designed for in a, a, a conception of photography in which what do you need a studio for you need a dark room so photographers had dark rooms right mm-hmm. <laughs> but they didn't have studios yep. so uh, and then the other thing was like I don't know make a ton of work because what else are you going to do yeah <laughs> and so uh, and then and then you know lastly there's a lot of you know I always say like or at least I, I like to believe that law school is a little bit like being a lawyer and med school you know a little bit like being a doctor, but art school really is can be nothing like what your life is like as an artist, and 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 at the same time resemble all sorts of things that are were going on in your life before you came, and will be going on in your life after. So in terms of the pace, I you know I I, I think it's uh, perfectly acceptable and and a pretty good use of one's time to work like a crazy person mm-hmm. uh, and then look back and say, I just can't believe I got that much done. Right. That and also uh, I read a book about the history of MFA writing programs in this country after World War II. And one point it makes, which is self it's obvious, I guess, but uh, it, I found it relatable, which is that, uh, you know, MFA writing programs led to the explosion of short story collections. Right. Yep. Because, like, you you know, I mean, I think maybe maybe there's a way to write a novel in an MFA writing program. I'm sure there is. But short stories get the job done. Short stories you can write and present in class. And mm-hmm. it's also a form that I think everybody realizes that they have their own work ethics. There, there's going to be times where there's nothing going on except trying to get your life set up. But um, we really do try to optimize I mean, it's not an artist residency, and sometimes I think a frustrated student kind of wishes it was. <laughs> but it is like a it, it, it is you know whether you're on financial aid or whether you're you know somebody's foot in the bill, all of it is designed to maximize the amount of time that you can just work on your work and meet deadlines, which are a gift because what gets done without mm-hmm. them, I don't know. And also, uh, I think the the way I like to describe it, the way I would want to anybody to think about it is uh, that I, I like to think of students as, as being connoisseurs of everything and connoisseurs of critics because we give them a lot of different voices to, mm-hmm. to kind of field and, and sometimes it can seem like uh, you can look at the formality of a typical Yale photo crit as overly formal uh, or maybe even looking like a communist show trial but the fact is, is that it, I, you know, it's also an abstraction, which I think kind of honors the fact that we're not just we're not a bunch of friends sitting around talking about your work. This is school. And in a way, the formality, in a weird way, I think mirrors an, in, an internal thing. The way I look at it is that we are always our own worst critic. There is the most withering criticism in that room will never be as hard to deal with your stomach as your own self-criticism. And in, in, in that respect, I, I like to think that uh, for two years, you kind of give yourself a break. You know, you kind of just outsource this internal process, which is always going on about doubt, revision, 
really big questions about what the hell am I doing? Uh, and let, let, you know, it's kind of outsource it. Let, let, let us kind of uh, rummage around in there. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it can be, um, I, like, yeah, I like to think it's helpful. But then again, like I, I am no authority on all, you know, I can't list all the different takeaways from a graduate experience, but um, I am regularly impressed by what happens, in, especially when it doesn't look like anything is about to happen. I mean, you get surprised. I don't know anybody that doesn't agree with this. Like one of the sweetest moments for a critic is to just have, you know, really just question some plan or, you know, some sweeping ambition for work that isn't quite even there yet. But like there was a student once who, uh, you know, described this sprawling project that they were going to do crisscrossing the country and kind of looking at this kind of war-touched landscape. It was in the early days of the Iraq invasion and and vets were starting to come back. And it was just, it was so ambitious and nothing about the photographs she was showing gave anybody. That's the thing, like we are not building consensus. The critics do not have to agree. We're not looking for unanimous decisions at all. But in this particular case, nobody thought that this idea had any hope of coming off and so there was just a lot of questions not a lot of encouragement came back in the fall and she did it (laughs) she really did it and so critics love being wrong really truly like you know those kind of surprises are are great so who's in that when you say critics who who's the last sort of question i want to ask about experience there but i am curious who those people are so who you know i i there's a i think of it as a there's a near orbit and a distant orbit, right? So Gregory Crutzen is is there. You know, he's the director of the program. He gets sabbaticals every now and then, but uh, so he's near orbit, and I am there both semesters. So this this year, the, for the last two years, Sandra Perry has been um, solidly in in the mix and there for every crit for the whole semester. Then then there's a category of critic which I I think. They share a similar description in the sense that these are folks that are working artists who don't teach elsewhere. You mm-hmm. won't see, right. you know, you won't see Paul Graham's name on, uh, you know, some, you know, I don't know. I'd have to think about who fits up. Taron Simon, Paul Graham, uh, Lorna Simpson, uh, you know, I mean, who, whoever. There's a certain category of the, you know, the working artist who probably doesn't have time for this kind of thing, but somehow has been asked and has accepted. And I like to think that, uh, like sure in the shot, people that come and they come with whatever expectations they have. This is always very gratifying to me to see some a serious artist come with any number of expectations. Richard Prince came, you know, of course they've got some thoughts about what they're walking into, mm-hmm. but then to see in each case, to see them look around and say, oh, huh. And I like to think that what happens in many cases is what they say is, wow, you know, this is kind of valuable to me. Like this, right. this is kind yeah, of nourishing. Of like, yeah. you know, uh, I'm, you know, you don't get health insurance for showing up for five Tuesday nights. You probably should, but they don't. There's a lot of things that, they, you know, visiting critics don't get. But I am regularly find myself kind of witnessing newcomers look around and and. Yeah, they don't say it exactly, but it seems to me what 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 they find is uh, conversations and kind of free ranging speculative stuff uh, and and a kind of engagement on the part of the students, which which is um, it's hard to find. 
you know? Well, I, I can't imagine that, you know, I mean, if you've been in the art world for a while, you've probably, you know, either absorbed or worked hard not to absorb a certain amount of sort of cynicism or yes. jadedness. And I'm sure sort of showing up and being around all these people who are feeling quite hopeful and filled with energy. I'm sure that's a wonderful experience. How can that not be yeah. a wonderful experience? I mean, uh, you know, also plenty of existential dread and uh, all that stuff, but that's familiar too. Yeah, I mean, of course. You know. But I think that existential dread is different when it's not married to actual experience. It's it's imagined, right? It's it's that's yeah, a different category. Yeah. I mean, you know, I really it means a lot to me that I can kind of, I want to be able to like you said nuts and bolts, right? There are kind of much simpler terms that I personally need to be able to describe what goes on there, what I participate in in ways that are just clear and, and and quantifiable and you know and frankly unpretentious you know the fact is is that in many ways I, and i think this is i would go out on a limb and say i think this is unique particularly unique to photography which is that um one way or the other historically well well before grad programs a photographer went where the pictures were being made you know they went and worked as photographers. They got jobs. And inevitably, whatever the context, whether it was a catalog shoot or working for the New York Times or, or Magnum or whatever, ultimately something went on, I think pretty similar, right? You, you do your best, you show it to somebody and you get a sense of these varying criteria and judgments. And even the context itself functions as a kind of education in terms of helping refine your sense of what this enterprise is for and what it's not for. So someone like Avedon flourishes within that context and in fact sees untapped potential and, you know, blows it up from within. And uh, Robert Frank was, you know, Todd Papa George used to like, love to quote, and in a very serious way, uh, quote uh, a moment in which Winogrand came to him and said, if I have to put a strobe on my camera and go and a long lens and go shoot some banality one more time, I'm going to kill myself. And Todd would always add for emphasis, and he meant it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I just feel like, you know, in one case, you get paid to do something and the other you pay for it. But at the same time, this kind of um, contrasting the thing you care about and the things you want against these other versions are you know, it's just all this this kind of process of uh, self-definition of a sense of purpose. And even within like just artists where art is the most important thing, then there's all these really important questions about how I'm going to do it. You know, like will commercial work rot my soul, you know, uh, or will it be a kind of, you know, way to create kind of synergy between my my personal ideas and kind of the harder core world of commerce things like that or is but, it just um, a way of making a living well i just this is what I, the existential part it, i i want to give it some uh, acknowledgement in terms of just you know photography wears a lot of hats it'll make an existentialist out of out of anybody mm -hmm. you know uh and that that line between uh art and just nothing i mean i just can't think of another medium in which the high wire act is so perilous right i mean Heidegger said poetry was the most refined of art forms because it was made of the most degraded substance. And I think that, that that's something that 
well, if you can make your peace with that as a photographer, then you're in good shape, you know. There is something about uh, the kind of conversations that I'm a part of, which, of course, you know, have to do with what a student wants and what they've done uh, and how those things sync up and how they might, there might be dissonance and whatnot. But at the same time, I think if you got to try all the cliches to get past them, why not do it in school? <laughs> you know, that's the, that's the other thing I think grad schools can be really good for is, uh, you know, working through an influence. You know, not not just killing your darlings, but like really kind of uh, learning to uh, take what's useful and and just not really be too precious about the things you, you know, the things that have influenced you. I know from, you know, firsthand experience of working with a lot of Yale MFAs, grads that, you know, people often what they go in with and what they come out with are two very different things. Yeah. There's a lot of trajectories and I, I, I really pay attention to them. You know, mm -hmm. there's there's one in which somebody comes in with very kind of quiet, I don't you know, we could say like literary, you know, there's motifs and quiet moments and things return. And clearly this has been the result of a long, slow, unfolding commitment to a subject or place or whatever. Um, and often the two years can be in many ways about kind of turning up the volume on that, almost coming up with the the loudest and uh, uh, most kind of voluptuous version of the thing you care about, or simply about doing something you've never done before. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's uh, uh, that's a Greg assignment. Um, you know, do something you've never done before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, and why not? Because I think the one thing that, and this is, I guess, advice, but it's also me, like, kind of bearing witness to this so regularly. It's like when you start. Uh, you know, I, I do think, you know, it's hard to get in. Getting in should feel good. You know, mm -hmm. the one the one immediate benefit of getting into Yale when I was 21 was my grandma Sylvia could go around to all her friends and say, my, my grandson at Yale. And she <laughs> left out, out the photo part. But you know, that was, there should be some pleasure, like, 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 you know, validation or like, I don't know, these things just come in thimblefuls. So first, like, it should feel good. Because it's hard. <laughs> yeah. But then the, the other thing is uh, sometimes, you know, there can be a condition where you and it's understandable. Like, well, well, wait a minute now. This is the work that got me into Yale. Well, why would I want to change anything? Mm -hmm. This is the work that got me. Like, what, I don't want to screw that up. Or worse, I don't want to disappoint the people that thought. And the thing is, is that, uh, uh, I mean, there's so many different ways of saying this, but it truly is a workshop, a laboratory, a test site. Uh, and in many ways, it's contingent and I think really most effective when it is considered private. The Internet, I, mean, I don't know what to say about it, but the one thing that I found is I just is fascinating. You know, it's like applicants show up at their interviews. They know everybody. They've, they know what they're doing. It's like they're visiting the set of a reality TV show. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, oh, like, Cole, I love your work. I was love that thing you did. And, the, the, and, you know, this is just the world we live in. It's fine. But sometimes I do think to myself, you know, like if there is a virtue here, it is that you're not, I mean, you have an audience and you have a stage, but the whole point is that we're, no, we're not there, we're not writing reviews, you know, it's, we're not kicking you off the island, you know, it's, right. uh, yep. it really is, uh, a, it has to be self-directed. You have to say like, what is this, what's unique about this context? Well, mm -hmm. what's unique about it is that you can do something really embarrassing, but revealing. You know, the gallery that you show with is not going to say, whoa, I don't know about this new direction. 
they'll say that sometimes or uh, you know but, or let's just say that as much as it might sound like judgment it really is not it's about the belief in uh, the fact that well as Gregory likes to say we all kind of have one story and the goal is to find keep on finding ways to tell it I mean that's mm -hmm. that's pretty close to what I think goes on uh, I don't know I hope this is helpful no I I was gonna say I I love that and I love the idea of just sort of ending there on a quote a quote of Greg's yeah because I think it's a lovely sentiment so and there's a lot I just want to say there's also a lot like I was starting to say there's a lot of different types of trajectories right sometimes people end on a very pulled together clarified finished place other times people end in a very confused place mm -hmm. but you know it's two years uh, which expands your sense of history of the medium and you learn so much from the other people in that class watching what growth and risk and stuff like that and and trend, you know spinning your wheels you, you see what all of that looks like but you know i i really do savor these trajectories in which somebody comes struggles and then you don't really hear from them for a couple of years and then some and then you do yeah and you see that the trajectory you know the end of those two years is the end of nothing and uh they struggled but they were left with something uh, uh, and they also knew that uh, you know the best work was ahead of them. Yeah. So sometimes I, I worry a little bit about uh, inevitably you you will know a program by its graduates. But I recommend anybody interested in any grad school look at the ones that are ten years out. That'll tell you, you know. And, and sometimes you got to dig because not everybody is uh, you know necessarily showing mm -hmm. at that moment but mm -hmm. 12 years 15 years out maybe they will mm -hmm. like you know i i love the slow burn i i i, yes, I really do i'm a big proponent that. of uh yeah. handling things like a turtle okay we yeah. we I, we I we have to we have to uh wrap up because we're we're sure. zooming over um there's so many things i didn't get to but i really love the conversation so thank you so much john and I, thanks sasha you know i really appreciated hearing all a this. Pleasure. And so a pleasure. So be well, and until next time, talk to you soon. Looking forward to it. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. The executive producer is Sasha Wolf, and our theme music is by Jay Walter Hawks. You can hear Photo Work on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts.